PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Eclipse. Eclipse has helped physical therapists streamline their practices since 1985. Eclipse is a comprehensive all-in-one system that handles your billing, scheduling, and clinical documentation. Find out more at www.ineedeclipse.com or call 1-800-966-1462. If you think about evidence-based practice, part of that three-legged stool, as you well know, is the therapist experience. There is still a significant group of patients that have poor prognosis but recover for some reason. And this crossover group is a group of patients that is very interesting. And perhaps there also we need to look a little bit further into these factors that are more difficult to capture. We will never be perfect predictors of human behavior. And I think that prevents us in a good way from reducing anything we do as therapists to simply numbers. Welcome to this PTJ discussion podcast, Computers versus Humans in predicting upper limb function in stroke. The early prediction of functional outcome after stroke, or EPOS study, assessed the predictive accuracy of physical therapists and a computational prediction model. Participating in this discussion are Dr. Erwin von Wegen, a co-author of the EPOS paper from the April issue of PTJ, and outside expert Dr. Dorian Rose. And now, here is our moderator, PTJ Editorial Board Member, Dr. James Carey. Hello, my name is Dr. James Carey, a member of the Editorial Board for the Physical Therapy Journal. I am also on faculty in the Program in Physical Therapy at the University of Minnesota here in Minneapolis. It is my honor to serve as moderator of the discussion of the paper titled, Accuracy of Physical Therapists' Early Predictions of Upper Limb Function in Hospital Stroke Units, the EPOS study, which is published in the April issue of PTJ. In the study, the authors explored the intuitive accuracy of the physical therapist's predictions of the outcomes in upper limb function for 131 people with acute stroke. They also explore the accuracy of a computational prediction based on factors such as the patient's sex, age, hemisphere of stroke, type of stroke, use of TPA right after the stroke, the NAH stroke scale scores, a variety of those, upper extremity function, and also sitting balance. The patients were evaluated within 72 hours of stroke and again at discharge, which averaged about 10 days after the stroke. They then made predictions of function based on the action research arm test. Prediction of outcomes is an important topic for any clinical entity, but particularly for people with stroke. Okay, so that's the background. Now, joining us today for discussion of this paper is the corresponding author, Dr. Erwin von Wegen, and Erwin is a senior researcher of neurorehabilitation at VU University Medical Center, which is part of MOVE Research Institute of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Although it is morning where I am, good afternoon to you in the Netherlands, and thank you for authoring this fine paper and sharing in the discussion of it today. Thank you, Jim, and I want to thank PTJ for the invitation to join this podcast, and I'm honored to represent my group of fellow researchers trying to explain the ins and outs of this article that we published. Excellent. Also joining us is the discussant, Dr. Dorian Rose, and she is a research health scientist 
at Malcolm Randall VA Medical Center in Gainesville. She's also a research assistant professor at the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Florida, also in Gainesville. Welcome to Dorian. Thank you. I'm pleased to be part of this discussion, and thank you as well, Dr. Van Vegen, for this important contribution to the literature. Okay, let me start by asking each of you what you believe to be the most important aspects of this paper. So, Erwin, can you please briefly overview the main findings of the study and state, in your view, its overall importance? Yes. So, what we have done in this paper is comparing the accuracy of physical therapist predictions And the main important new characteristic of this paper is that we have done this in a longitudinal fashion, reassessing the predictions at 72 hours post-stroke, but also reassessing the prediction of outcome at discharge. I think one of the main findings is that, first of all, physical therapists are about as accurate as a computational prediction model, and that they become better at predicting functional outcome as time progresses. And I hope that some of the discussion later on will focus on the reasons why this particular pattern is happening. Excellent. Dorian, would you please share your perspective then on the most important aspects of the study? Sure. Thank you. I think although as therapists we often think of ourselves as interventionists first, uh, wanting to provide the most efficacious treatment for our patients as our primary goal, I think it's become increasingly important that as inpatient lengths of stay have become shorter and with healthcare dollars decreasing, that we really also need to use our training or education to be able to better predict patient outcomes so as to determine the best course of intervention for our patients. I think as we become increasingly aware that not all of our patients post-stroke are the same, as sobering as that may be, we have an obligation to be responsible stewards of the resources that are available to our patients. I think this manuscript demonstrated that the cohort of therapists that participated in this trial had that ability. And I believe that this manuscript also showed that while the therapists were good at predicting recovery, they were not 100%, and I think that is fine. We will never be perfect predictors of human behavior, and I think that prevents us in a good way from reducing anything we do as therapists to simply numbers, that we work with humans that bring a whole host of personal factors to the table, and that is what keeps the therapist-patient relationship and interaction so important. Excellent. Okay, uh, Dorian, I'm also going to ask you any questions that you might have on the overall methodology of the paper that you'd like to get clarified. Yes. I do have one question for you, Erwin. As I, it's obviously a well-written paper. Um, really enjoyed reading it. But I did have one sort of method question, and you explained it in the methods, that the therapist, the EPOS study therapist, conducted the physical assessments, and then they were the ones that also made the prediction. I was wondering, were the study therapists also aware of type of stroke and continent status, were they aware of these variables in addition to the results of their actual physical assessments? In other words, were the therapists aware of all the independent variables that went into the computer prediction model? Uh, Yes, thank you, Dorian. That's a valid point. And um, these therapists were the therapists that were treating the patients as well. So, Okay. So my assumption then is that they were aware of, you know, the status and the charts of the patients. So you have to realize that this was recorded in a working environment. Right, okay. So uh, the cohort study was conducted in a way that we asked therapists to do these assessments over the course of their regular treatment regime. So So they would have access to all of their medical records and know their full history then. Yes, exactly. So they were not really, in that sense, independent assessors of the functional status of the patients. Okay, understand that. 
along that line of real-world clinical practice, I saw the different factors that were used in the computational model, but I didn't see any inclusion of the variable amount of treatment across patients. Now, maybe it didn't vary. I don't know. But might that be a factor that could also influence the accuracy of prediction? To what extent did the actual treatment vary across subjects? And how might that influence the predictability? Yes. So what happened here is that these patients were treated according to the Dutch clinical guidelines for physical therapy and stroke. Right. And obviously there were some variations in the actual therapy that patients got depending on you know, treatment goals and depending on what they needed at that particular point in time. So you are right that there may be some influence of the treatment on functional outcome, but I think that is also represented in the predictions of the therapist because they were able to see the progress or the changes that patients underwent across the time that they were in the hospital stroke unit. And even though we asked them to objectively assess the clinical outcomes at 70 hours after stroke and at discharge, obviously in their estimation of predicted outcome at six months, they may have taken into account some of those other factors such as treatment. Okay. I think that that's helpful. Um, Dorian, new topic. What are your thoughts on using the tangible objective indicators for predicting outcomes versus perhaps the less tangible but possibly equally valuable, perhaps even more so, intangible predictors that therapists have through their experience, their, their hunches, their intuition. How do you feel that was handled in the study? Yeah, that's a good question. and I think it speaks to the art and the science that both go into our profession. And I think as a profession, we want to become more scientific, if you will, operating via the best available evidence. But I think if you think about evidence-based practice, part of that three-legged stool, as you well know, is the therapist experience and the patient preference. So I think we cannot negate those. And I really appreciate this study because it took place within the trenches, if you will, of an inpatient rehabilitation center in real life where practice happens. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to note that the therapist predictions abilities did improve from 72 hours till the time of discharge is about 10 days, whereas we saw in the results the computer prediction model did not. And I agree with the author's interpretation that although measurable, tangible variables are informative, and I think it's good that we have those and we know the role that they play, that there are often immeasurable or intangible variables that a therapist observes through interaction with the patient that we all know contributes to our prediction of recovery. I think that's that's okay. I think we go with the facts, we go with the numbers, the diagnosis, NIH stroke scale scores, all of these, but we should not just see a patient as a, you know, a diagnosis with a list of test results, but as a person. And I think it really points to following this ICF model of patient care where personal factors play a role right alongside health condition and impairment in body structure and function. So I think this improvement that we saw in the therapist prediction at 10 days compared to 72 hours probably is a result of the patient-therapist interaction and the therapist recognizing the personal factors that these patients were bringing to the table. And the other aspect, I think, which is also important is that we know that this recovery of motor function follows a nonlinear pattern with a lot of improvement in the first few weeks or days even, and that this prediction model probably has some difficulty in capturing that nonlinear pattern. And the therapist, they have probably been able to perhaps intuitively 
capture that more nonlinear pattern and therefore may be able to make an improvement in their prediction. Excellent. I'm going to ask one question on my own here while Dorian ponders her next question. I'll come back to you in a second, Dorian. So in the computational model, it was quite comprehensive, but I did notice a couple of items that are particular to stroke that weren't included, and there's probably good reason, but I just wanted to get your opinion on this, Erwin. For example, spasticity. Now, it was early, and perhaps it didn't appear yet. I can understand that, but if you, in a moment, could just speak to the possibility of spasticity serving as a predictor in either the current model or a future model. Yes, well, you were right that we didn't explicitly include a spasticity measure in the model, and that could be seen as an omission, but these spasticity problems tend to develop over time. Right. And because we were assessing so early after stroke at 72 hours, my gut feeling would be that it wouldn't add any additional information because it's not there yet. I see. Okay. But then another sequela of stroke is depression, medical depression. What impact might that have on both the physical therapist's own perception of the patient and how they're going to predict the outcome and also the computational model? Might that be an important factor that could be included or what are your thoughts on that? So what we did do is include some aspects of the NIHSS and I would assume that if there is anything related to some kind of cognitive impairment or motivation or something like that, that would also be represented at some level in the NIHSS scores. And the other thing that we did do is look at the scores on the Bartel index. And we also excluded patients that had problems in following the instructions. So if there is any motivational problem and they were not able to follow instructions, then they were excluded. So in that sense, there is a particular selection of the patient group. We did not exclude based on depression. We didn't screen on it. But other factors were taken into account, and that may have resulted into a group of patients that did not have these depressive symptoms. Okay. Uh, this is Dorian. If I could just jump in here real quick. Please do. It's in response to that, you know, we don't know this, but I guess potentially the therapist, this might have been one of those observations that they were making that, again, why their prediction improved. They very well may have picked up on the patients that were exhibiting depression or less motivated. So I think, you know, there's probably just a good example of a variable, again, not explicitly captured, but potentially implicitly captured by the therapist interaction with the patient. I see. Yeah, good point. Yes, I agree there. And that may also be one of the reasons why, for some patients early on, it's actually difficult to predict whether they are going to end up with good functional outcome or bad functional outcome. Because in some of our other work, we have shown that there is a certain group of patients that are predicted to have a bad prognosis and recover anyway. So there is still a significant group of patients that have poor prognosis but recover for some reason. And this crossover group is a group of patients that is very interesting. And perhaps there also we need to look a little bit further into these factors that are more difficult to capture in trying to explain why they do recover after all. Very good. Dorian, I'm going to let you raise whatever question you might like. So is there a particular question that you would like to ask, Erwin? I guess one question that I would have is the ERAT scores, and that was an assessment that the therapist did, you know, every three days during the trial. And I guess I'm kind of going back to your previous literature that's referred to in the paper about the importance of shoulder abduction and finger extension to recovery. 
the action research arm test itself has one item that explicitly is a shoulder abduction task where the patient is asked to bring their hand out to the side and to the top of their head. And then many of the grasp have a release component to it. It's not explicit, you know, how much can you extend your fingers, but whatever they pick up, they need to be able to release it. So I guess I'm just kind of curious if the therapists were looking at certain aspects of the action research arm test. I guess I'd be curious to sort of do an interview of your assessors, your therapists, and asking them of all the assessments, what went into your decision about how they would recover? I know you had mentioned in the paper that these results of the previous studies of yours was not out in the literature at the time, but they very well may have heard of that through courses or through discussion. So I guess I'd just be kind of curious doing a post-interview with therapists, asking them explicitly what they looked at to come to the decisions that they made. Okay, yes. Thank you, Dorian. So let me go back to your first part of the question, because what I gather from that is that you sort of wondering why we were not using the IRAT as a predictive assessment. And I think that that can be explained by the fact that if you look at the baseline IRAT scores for these patients, they were very low. And that means that... Yes, I got a median score of six or something. Yes. Yeah. So they have very little function, Mm -hmm. uh, at least on on functional capability. So the ARAT is really a functional assessment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I think is reflected there is that probably improvement in impairment probably goes before improvement in functional ability. Mm -hmm. And that's why these shoulder abduction and finger extension measured at the impairment level with the Flugelmeyer and the motricity index are more sensitive and have to sort of precede any improvement in functional ability. And then the second part of your question is about asking therapists afterwards what went into their decision. And I think that's a very valid question and a very reasonable next step in trying to figure out what is driving the physical therapist predictions. Because obviously we have a little bit of an idea that there's probably a part intuition and a part logical reasoning, some deduction, yes. uh, looking at these improvements over time, but also the nonlinear pattern and also these sort of non-descriptive factors that we just discussed that are harder to capture with objective assessments. And it is something that we haven't done in this paper, but I think it would be a very valuable insight into what are these predictions composed of. So I think it's a very good suggestion, and that should be definitely a part of future projects. Okay, I would like to ask one last question for both of you. What do you both believe are the ethical implications of predicting stroke outcomes? Do you think that such predictability should influence who gets more treatment or who gets less? And is the accuracy sufficiently strong to make these decisions? Where do we go with this information of predictability? Does it just sit there or is it going to be used to influence who gets treatment and the economics of healthcare? Let's start with Erwin. What are your thoughts? Yes. So what I would like to do is maybe take one step back and explain what I think is the main important message from this research. It's not to provide the therapist or anybody trying to predict the outcome of a stroke patient with hard and fast measures to make a final decision on something, but more that it is important to monitor the patients and do this at a regular interval. And that pattern that you see then is going to be directive for the decisions that you make. For example, if you see that a patient is improving very quickly in the first days after stroke, then you can probably direct your therapy at restitution of function, trying to regain the functions that were there before the stroke and building on that. And if there is very poor prognosis and the patient does not recover quickly over time as you monitor with these assessments, 
then it's probably a good indication that you should start teaching the patient compensation strategies. So it's not a matter of choosing whether they get treatment or not, but rather to choose what the most effective treatment for them is at that particular point in time. And that could also mean that you change strategies, that you change your treatment strategy over time. Excellent. Dorian, what are your thoughts on the ethical implications of this predictability? Yeah, great question. And I think as healthcare professionals, we have a responsibility to our patients. I don't think we can claim naivete anymore or throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, I have no idea how this patient is going to do. Like I said earlier, we can't perfectly predict human behavior, but we do have the knowledge base of predictors of stroke recovery. And I think we can be irresponsible if we go down a treatment route that the evidence doesn't really show us is the way to go. We can be informed professionals, always ready to make that switch, as Erwin said, in terms of our course of treatment. Can I add something to that? Please do. On the patient-therapist interaction side, it's also very important to just be honest about this uncertainty that you still may have. Even though you say, well, we have a pretty good idea that you will be going in this direction or that direction, it's probably the best way to interact with the patient to be honest about the uncertainty, but also to give them the possibilities for the perspective. I think that also makes the use of these types of prediction models interesting because you can use it to explain why you think something is going to happen. That's very good. Well, let me conclude now by, first of all, commending you, Erwin, and your author team for creating this article and publishing it in PTJ. I think it is a valuable article. It certainly stimulates the mind for further action in predictability of outcomes, not so much to refuse treatment to individuals, but to better select what are the appropriate treatments. So I appreciated that comment that you made. And I'd also like to thank Dorian for your scholarly expertise in neurorehabilitation and how we can improve our science. So I appreciate both of you for taking the time to interact here, and I wish you best in your next papers. Okay, Jim, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Send us your comments or suggestions about this podcast via email, ptj at scienceaudio.net, or voicemail, 626 626- Five nine three seven eight two five. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. Thanks for listening.